Hello and welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I am delighted to be joined for part one of a conversation with New York-based American composer Dana Rowe. Dana is also a musical director whose works have been performed in New York City, in the West End, and around the world. His off-Broadway musical Zombie Prom has reached cult status and was filmed starring RuPaul and Katie Mixon, and there have been more than 3,000 different productions around the world. Dana grew up in a home surrounded by music, and in this first half, he describes how music became really his first language and a safe place. He also digs into the story about how he came to write music for, as he puts it, the dramatic moment and the wisdom and influence of one of his early teachers, Mrs. Martin, in putting him on this path. We also discuss what art is and why it matters, and so, so much more. Just a reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's go ahead and dig into this very, very rich uh, episode with composer and musical director Dana Rowe. Enjoy. Dana Rowe, welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. It is good to have you here. It's really good to be here. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Any opportunity I have to speak to a fellow gray-bearded, bald man is a good day. <laughs> right? <laughs> Indeed. Pretty soon we'll rule the world, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think we're we're I, I think we're kind of done with ruling the world, which I, think I hope so. Actually, so many the minute ways. that came out of my mouth, I was going, "Oh no, I'm we've done that. We've been there. Yeah, we, we get the, so we get, great. <laughs> we get to put that down." <laughs> so with that, let's start here. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? Ah, oh, uh, so many things wash over me the minute you ask me that. Uh, it's it's multi-level. Uh, I had a, a wonderful sort of loving family, as dysfunctional as they come. Um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, hmm. and I had a lot of artistic opportunities as a child, a lot of encouragement that way. Um, and uh, it was interesting making sense of the world from from the Midwest of the the great United States. Uh, and uh, yeah, what was it like? It was fun. I was fascinated to be here. I was that child who was just delighted to have landed on planet Earth. <laughs> and I was fascinated by everything that was here, you know, for the first part of my life anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. And and now it could be me, and I don't know much about uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I'm curious what made it. You know, I don't think of. Oh, I don't think of. Uh, you know, I, I know a little bit about Cleveland, but I don't necessarily think of it as a cultural or artistic hotbed. And that may be a complete mistake on my part. So when you said you had a lot of artistic opportunity, yeah, what was that? Oh yeah, that's a that's, that's really good for me. Well, my my mom and dad appreciated the arts. Uh, they came from Appalachia. They came from the hills of Kentucky. They grew up in adjoining hollers. We're talking holler culture here, and uh, but they moved to Columbus when I was around one. 
And they both, I think my mother had, she had the opportunity to go to like higher education out of high school. I think that she would have been an art major. I think that she would have been in the fine arts. She, she painted up until, uh, until she died Uh, a couple years ago, she was 91. And uh, I, we have lovely paintings of hers hanging around our apartment here. And I, I, so I get to commune with her every day, you know, in that regard. So, so from a visual art standpoint, it sounds like you were surrounded by by both work that was that was done and and also, uh, you know, I'm making up that you got to witness her creating. Yeah, both she and my father would craft and do and paint and and I remember one of my early memories is that they had a little painting table in our finished basement because you have a finished basement in the Midwest. That's what you do. You put plywood, plywood on the walls, whatever that was, paneling on the walls and, and shag carpet on the floor and you finish your basement. And we had a, an art table. And I remember them sort of reproducing comic strip characters on, on tiles that my father had left over from the work he did. And it was fascinating. I was fascinated by that. I also got to watch my grandmothers play the piano. And uh, my mom, one, one grandmother had a, a Magnus chord organ, it was called, a little chord organ where you press a button for the chord and play the melody. And then my other grandmother, wow. my mom's mom, really played. She taught me my first, you know, little, little ditty on the piano. I was going to ask you how you made your way to music, and you've just you just answered that that question. When did it? Uh, uh, we haven't we haven't revealed the, the whole of your story yet, but I, I'm curious when did you when did it hit you that that music was the direction for you? Wow, that's that's. Uh, I think it's always been tugging. It always was tugging at me. You know what I mean by that? It was always that thing like, oh, this is fascinating stuff. It also, um, well, there's, it's, it's, multi, it's a complex conversation because art did as well as, you know, visual arts. We, we have uh, time for complex conversation. Oh, oh good. Okay. All right. Well, you, you lead, you lead, you know, you help me navigate this complex conversation and I'm willing to go wherever it goes. Uh, so, you know, uh, growing up in the hollers, you know, uh, my father. So it, this this is all connects. My my father had some anger issues that he didn't mm. know what to do with them, you know. And I was just this little kid, and I had gotten for uh, Christmas one year uh, one of those little Magnus cord organs. I think it may have cost between twenty and twenty five dollars from a store called Wolco. And I played the pudding out of that thing. I made up stuff and I, you know, did, did all kinds of crazy things. I used a book to emulate a pedal because I was fascinated by the piano and I was fascinated by the sounds that came out of it. The other thing is that I would also sit in that finished basement in front of a fan. Okay, so just imagine this little kid, you know, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. And I would sing into the fan because it would echo back at me and it became like this really low you know uh second shelf reverb for me to hear my voice back and i would cry i would sit there and i'd make up music i'd make up songs you know based on my picture books and i would just weep and um when my father was having 
one of his, like, he didn't know what to do with his frustration, you know. Um, if I was playing either the piano, I eventually got a piano, or with the little organ, he would come into the room, he would see what I was doing, and he would leave. So it became my safe place and also a way for me to express my emotions and express myself. So I always tell people, and I do believe this, that music was my first language because we were in a house where we were to be seen and not heard, ah. but I could, I, got, I could express myself there. And uh, so I think that, you know, music is a language of emotion and that was my first language. So, and I do believe that, yeah, I mean, that's what I do today is, you know, the, my day job is that I write music for the dramatic moment. And I do believe in some way that funneled me into that and uh, helped me be fluent in that. Unpack that a little bit. The the what you just said. The uh, uh, my day job is I write music for the dramatic moment. Um, I I I have to say that um, I that's not something I hear at the average if we remember the days when we we're we're recording this in december of 2020 so we're okay, thinking yeah. fondly of the days when we used to meet people out in the world but right, i have yeah. to say that's not something i ever heard hey what do you do well of course i write i write music for the dramatic moment so unpack that a little bit well you know it sort of dawned on me i was uh in, okay so yeah let's go back we'll go back a few years yeah, i'm go back, 63 go sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go back to like fourth grade mrs martin was my teacher and uh, we had to do oral book reports. And one of the things that was painful for me to do was to speak in front of others. I mean, you can imagine, you can sort of do the math. I mean, I wasn't permitted to do that. So it became, it became a challenge for me to utter words in front of others. Um, and so, I mean, to the point where I was stuttery, not quite like, you know, full on, but it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was broken. And uh, kids are cruel. And they made fun of me a couple times when I tried to do my oral book report for Mrs. Martin's class. I had her for third and fourth grade. And um, but what she noticed, thank God for Mrs. Martin, you know, uh, or, you know, thank the universe for Mrs. Martin, however you view that, you know, uh, whatever your tradition is. And she saw me on an indoor recess one time. We were indoors in the gymnasium because the weather was outside was frightful. And, but there was a piano there and I noticed all my friends doing games and bouncing balls. And so I sat down on the piano and did my thing. I made up music to go with what was going on there. And uh, she noticed that. And to me, that's just what I did. <laughs> and Finally, after I think the second sort of abysmal attempt at an oral book report, she came over to me and she whispered, she says, Dana, next time you do a book report, because she knew I read the book, yeah. she said, make up some music to go with it and, and just play the music that would go with the story. Wow. And right I and I think of it, I still get emotional every time I think of it because of the insight and sort of the wisdom of that woman that she spoke into my life and really changed the direction of it. Because when I went to share the music for the Phantom Toll Booth the next time we, you know, had uh, an oral book report, I was so excited. I was just, 
I was, it was just flowing out of me and they really, they had trouble shutting me up. So I think that there was something <laughs> that connected. And to this day, I mean, uh, I write, um, I write music for musicals, you know, to me there, there's a story there. There's an emotional moment for the character. There's an arc, uh, to that as well as the long form of a musical. And I, I do scoring for documentaries and TV and film kind of things. Um, so to me, that's a very natural way of expressing. I feel like music tells us how to feel words, tell us what to think. And sometimes when the marriage of that is, really right, it can transcend both. I do hope you're enjoying this conversation between myself and Dana Rowe. And just a reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's get back to the conversation. So I have a question here and I'm looking for the words for it. And um, I think you've been alluding to it. Um, but I'll ask this, and in asking it, I know it's one of those questions that oh my geez, you know, you know, if someone asked me this, I, I I know I would have a hard time coming up with the answer, and then I would start talking, and and that is what is to you, like what is what is art, what is art, and why does it matter. Ooh, okay. Uh, boy, I'm glad you're prepared to go a little while. Uh, this is something I've done a lot of thinking about, and it's amazing that you hit on that. I mean, to me, art is so many things. I mean, I think what we're longing for a lot in life is an emotional shift, something that allows an emotional change and energy change in us. Great art is that I believe a well-written song, I mean, we're both coaches, a well-written song is like a profound process, you know, uh, coaching. You know, it leads us to a place, it helps us kind of sit there in the emotion. And then when that song pays off and it lands, we are left a changed person. Great art does that, whether it's visual, whether it's a really great novel, or whether it's a well-written song or a piece of music that helps us, you know, takes us to a place and we make up our own story, you know, that, that is great art. It, it, it really feeds our soul and it takes us to a new place. As you were speaking, an image popped into my head. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Springsteen fan. Love his songwriting, love his music. And, you know, I've seen him a number of times. And uh, at a at a show in um, in uh, in Albany a number of years ago, uh, him coming on uh, on stage and the first words out of his out of his mouth were, uh, "Prepare to be transformed." which you you don't normally hear at the beginning of a rock and roll show. (laughs) I love that. You don't know how that excites me. It's transformational. Art is transformational. Yeah. 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 And, and, and as you look at your own history here, you know, obviously you're still, you're still writing. This is, you know, you're, you, you ain't done yet. Thank goodness. Oh no. Yeah. No, 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 not by a, not by a long shot. Um, in in what ways do you see that that your own art specifically your own music your own yeah your own stuff in in what ways 
do you see that you have been transformed? Hmm. Well, it became sort of a way for me. I mean, my own music, the way it sort of comes from me. I mean, I kind of, it's, it's shifted over the years, my view on it, my, my thought of what is this that I'm doing here, you know, uh, to a place. Hmm. Okay. So it's, it's like, a, I can look at it from a scientific, you know, vantage point, And I can also look at it from a very woo woo vantage point. You know, I think both of them hold, uh, you know, as I've, grown more accustomed to accessing that part of my mind that is not limited, that is not criticizing what's happening in the moment, letting it flow. I mean, we've all heard about flow. We've probably all read the book, um, you know, on flow. Uh, I can never say the author's name, but it's a really cool name and it's just called flow. And, but it's about creating. And for me, as I have I think grown and evolved in my own life. Um, it's become increasingly um, easier. It's it's easier to access whatever it is in the moment the music needs to be. I, am I answering? Am I on the right track keep, with what your going. question keep, was? There's, there's no yeah. wrong track for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what has happened over the course of my life? I think there were times when writing as driven as I was to do it, as drawn as I was to do it, was agonizing. And I would, you know, have those moments when <clears throat> I just didn't know what was right. And now I realized that I was actually, I wasn't, I wasn't in my right mind. I was maybe, I was, you know, I wasn't in the, t in the place in my brain, if you will, that was allowing me to access all of that. Sometimes, some people look at that as a spiritual thing. You know, I wasn't spiritually fit perhaps at the time. The truth is from a scientific standpoint, I was probably living mainly from my survival brain, the amygdala and all that sort of brainstem and all that good good stuff. Um, but as I have kind of come to a better place emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, if you will, um, writing is really just joyful and it's easy. Uh, it's like accessing. Uh, Kendra and Ebb talk about, they're the guys who wrote like Chicago and uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a number of really important musical theater works. Yeah. Um, and uh, they often, uh, Kander or Ebb, I forget now which one was, uh, did it, but he, he was describing at one point, he says, no, he says, like, going and finding the music is like accessing this deep running river beneath us. You just let down a bucket and it's unending and it's vast and it never runs out. And whatever you bring up will be good. You know, it's just sort of like, but, you know, and you, you always have an opportunity to dip down again and get something different, but it's there for us when we access it. And that's how I feel about it. Uh, often I was, we were joking before we started, you know, I, you might see me looking up to the left or looking up to the right. And often I'm accessing, I'm kind of like, huh, where's that, where I want to feel that, where's, where's that for me right now? And that's how I look at music. So um, it has given me a great deal of peace and well-being and has encouraged me uh, to live from a place of ease. You know, I it just never, I think it's a big 
it's a big falsehood we tell ourselves when we must suffer for our art. I think mm. that's wrong-minded. It's a and it's a it's a, it's a popular and enduring. Uh, oh yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, that we yeah. must suffer for. Yeah, the whole idea of the of the struggling uh, the struggling artist, and I think I think of you know co- uh, comparative studies in art history, for instance, learning a little bit about about the way different artists function, different artists functioned, and on the one side, they you know you had the 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 Peter Paul Rubens who uh, was in co- constantly 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 creating, you know his 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 workshop essentially became a factory right. uh, and that just never stopped producing with everything else he was doing in his life. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, of course the, the, uh, the, the, the stories around, around Van Gogh and his, this, right. tro- this troubled soul. Yeah. yeah. And there's something about, I think there's something about the troubled soul uh, that, that is makes for a compelling story because um you know, it's kind of like, why don't we see examples of he- uh, of healthy, functioning families on reality TV? Well, there's no, <laughs> dram- there's no dramatic tension. Who there's cares? No conflict. There's no conflict. Conflict is what drives the story, man. Yeah. It, you know, it's so. Yeah, we 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 live on that. We thrive. I mean, we eat it for breakfast. You know. Conflict. Yeah, there's yeah, there is something about the the conflict and the dramatic tension that's so yeah. Compelling. So compelling. Yeah. On the one hand, on the other hand, there's a what you're describing. There's a there's such a beauty and a grace to what you're describing. That's my language for it. Um, and and borrowing that language, you know, the river is always there. It's just a matter of dipping dipping in it. And I and and I I'm particularly taken by what you said. And it never runs out. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Dana Rowe, for this first half of our conversation. And uh, please do come back and join us for the second half next week. And if you want to reach out to Dana, there's there's information in the program notes. And you can check out his website at Dana P. That's D-A-N-A. P is in Peter Rowe, R-O-W-E, Dana P. Rowe.com. And if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do it is through my website. That's Cirrus Leadership. Cirrus is in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S, leadership.com. Please visit if you haven't. You can find uh, my newsletter there. You can see what's going on with my classes and so much more. And of course, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, Take care, make it a great day, and we'll see you back here on Mojo for the Modern Man. Be well.